So, Ned. Yes. Um, how many books have you written now? Crikey. So, yeah, around about the time you were writing Racing racing in the... Through the, through dark, the dark. Sorry, Ned. I just went a temporary blank there. <laughs> the award-winning Racing Through the Dark. Did it win an award? No, it's second in the William Hill. But oh, Racer won an award. The yeah. Racer won the yeah, Sportsbook sports of the Year. Yeah. Fair play, David. I've never even come close to winning an award. Yeah, I know. Um, I think it was luck of the draw of the year, I think. The so I think, I think we were writing and publishing our first books at the same time. And I think it was 2011. 11. Yeah. And so... So then I wrote On the Road Bike after that about British cycling. And then I wrote 101 Damnations. Three. And then I wrote a book that no one likes called Bolting's Velosaurus, which is full of jokes. Bolting's Velosaurus, yeah. Um, and then I wrote, and then I went away from cycling, and I wrote the wildly successful darts book and the wildly successful football book. Six books there. And, then and let's not forget you had the road book going on. the road on. book. That kind of sort of counts. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and so this is my seventh Your book. seventh and book. A re- and a return to cycling. A return and a return to cycling. So I... Had the privilege of reading 1923 on my way to... I know, and I really hesitated to do that because I I hate this about publishing. It's always low-hanging fruit. You know, they do want you to get endorsements from people with a Mm. reputation and a name such as yourself. But, you know, it's quite... We're we're quite a small little gene pool of people, aren't we? Inside in the cycling sort of media. And so we're constantly having to lean on each other for quotes and things like that. And I know Mm. in the past I've done this to you. So I did that with a very heavy heart. And I Mm. certainly didn't intend for a second that you actually read it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, I got it, I got the digital version and um, I got it a couple of days before I flew to, I hadn't, I was, I haven't been reading much of late and actually mm. I just started reading books again at the beginning of the year and um, I was actually genuinely excited. I didn't know what to expect because you've been very secretive about this book. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, yeah. often you kind of share and I, and I know you're always away doing projects. You're prodigious regards the amount of uh, projects you have going at any time but I knew this book was very personal to you and also that it was you said a return to cycling but I had no idea what to expect Mm. and I got on my flight to Cape Town and opened up my iPad and started reading and didn't stop reading until I finished it on the flight and I was absolutely engrossed and and it felt very much like the most personal book you've ever written in the sense your personality so that's really interesting that you say that because um i did do another interview about this book just just a few days ago and uh, the the very first question rather f- threw me the first question was ned what is this book about mm. which is a question i should have really been prepared to answer but on the face of it it's a, it's about it's about lots of things it's about the 1923 Tour de France it's about a certain rider it's about other riders it's about the political and social context of what was going on in the world but actually the answer I came up with in that instant when I was trying to reply to that question was this is about something that happened to me Mm. um, first and foremost so I I, uh, everything that is filtered through the book is filtered through my experience of living through and, and I think an experience that I hope the reader can identify with of living through those difficult times of the COVID pandemic and w- mm. what it did to us, actually. Um, I think all of us universally in terms of our increased introspection mm. and our desire to turn a blind eye or to turn away from the realities of the day and actually find somewhere else to yeah. go mentally. So first and foremost, I think that's the starting point. Yeah, I, I, that's what I found really interesting because it was 
a snapshot in time that's very recent, the yeah. 2020 lockdown. And it was so funny how it's only, it's so recent and yet we've forgotten already what it was. Yeah. And that was what I found really interesting at the beginning because it it captures, it's very much in the moment in the book. It It is this journey through that moment in time, but then also through a hundred years ago. Yeah. And this is what kind of engrossed me was that juxtaposition between a very real time kind of investigative journalism to a certain degree going off in very never strays far you were finding tangents left right and center sure yeah but then capturing that in many ways the lockdown gave you that opportunity completely to, to go deeper than completely. you would have ever gone completely but tell us about the kind of the beginning the origin of the the 1923 how it started because i think that's i didn't really realize what how this secret was. well th- this is the other thing you didn't because when you were doing it and when you were writing it you didn't know what the outcome was no and so we go on that journey with you a hundred percent i didn't know what the book was going to be when i started writing i just knew it's a book Mm. so some some quite interesting stylistic things happened that that you'll identify with as a writer that i did that were entirely unexpected Uh, every book i've written with the exception of the velasaurus which is totally different but every uh, every book i've written has broken down into roughly 20 25 chapters mm. that's kind of how you write books isn't yeah. it you know no, rough word count of eighty-five thousand words yeah. start middle end start middle end 22 chapters maybe yeah. you know mm. and in in cycling publishing there's often a temptation to t- turn them into like the 21 stages of a grand oh, tour right, with yeah. a prologue yeah. isn't there? And all, anyway that's what i've done that's what i thought that's what i thought but i realized very quickly with the um massive the dual time frames that the, the real-time narrative of this book mm. plus the 100 years ago narrative of the 1923 tour de france plus all these multifarious different this myriad tangents and branches that interlock and jump through decades and time um i realized that wasn't that structure was impossible mm. so stylistically i had to do something else so I, I i it's a very fragmented book it breaks down into some of the chapterlets Mm. The, uh, the parts are maybe just a, a single paragraph yeah and then the heading changes and you move on and maybe mm. you've done a big jump through you know you're suddenly back in 1870 the franco-prussian war <laughs> where i've got a bit of a yeah. story to tell that does lock in always with the the moment in time that this bit of pathé film is shot and ultimately when you drill down the whole thing revolves the sun at the center of this universe is this found footage this two and a half minutes incomplete because the mm. film, the projected film, I think must have burnt on the bulb. And so you don't actually see who wins stage four of the 1923 Tour de France. Mm. You don't, you don't, that, 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 bit's, yeah. that bit's gone forever. That's, everything starts and finishes with that. But the very fact that that entered my life at all was a, a, a moment of pure chaotic chance. Mm. It was a, a text message that came out of the blue from, <laughs> from a guy called John McDonald. Right, who'd spot, who was just trawling an online auction thing looking for football memorabilia and stuff that he could trade. Lockdown thing, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and, and he obviously noticed this, this, this reel of film being put up for sale that mm. looked like it might be loosely related to the Tour de France. And the only person he knew, John, was me, who might be interested. So he sent me just a link without any accompanying note. And I literally thought it was a virus, the, a WhatsApp virus, right? So I was going to just delete it without even opening it. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm so glad I didn't do that. Um, but John McDonald, and this is just this just gives you a sense of how tangential 
and fragile these coincidences are. John McDonald, you may know him if you've ever watched the darts on TV because he's the guy who introduces the players onto stage. He's the guy who goes, and now the 16-time champion of the world, it's <laughs> Phil, the power is He's that guy. Right. How random is that? That's so random. But then, you know, John is an uh, avid Tour de France watcher. Yeah. And I remember I remember having a long conversation with him about Armstrong, mm. you know, like a long time ago. And so it sparked back memories, this, this fragile connection of John bringing the Tour de France back into my life in lockdown in all sorts of different ways. But that was the starting point. And then, and then the film arrived in a, in a jiffy bag, <laughs> fell through my letterbox. I, I bought it for 120 quid. Mm. Best 120 quid I ever spent. Um, and it, it arrived in a jiffy bag, rather unlovingly packaged by this um, rather shoddy auction house I bought it from. And the jiffy bag sort of rolled in my hallway and nestled up against the, the feeding pipe of a radiator. Right? And uh, this, is, this is in like late autumn. This yeah. isn't good. No. Right? I only subsequently discovered that <laughs> this film is called Nitrate Film. Oh, God. That they used to do. This was before celluloid. Yeah. Nitrate film from the 1920s is can spontaneously combust and burn indefinitely. Oh, and if you have it in your house, it invalidates your building's insurance. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good old days. So, there's a, so a, a degree of jeopardy was introduced to my life when this film arrived. So, and at this point, you had no idea what was on the no, film. No, no, no idea. Nothing. No idea. And then you sent it off to get digitalized. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I did was I kind of uh, I took it upstairs and I, because and I, it's quite fragile. Yeah. Big, 35 millimeter frames. If you think about them, wow. each, each frame is yeah. quite, really quite a big image. Yeah. But packed with detail. And I kind of like. With the little real holes on it. Yeah. So it was a yeah. battered old sort of aluminium. Mm. Um, casing that it was in that would mm. have been the original you know broadcasting mm. casing broadcasting projecting casing and i gently pulled it like up to the held it to the light and i could see i could see this map this outline of a map that oh, describes wow. the stage the, yeah. you know stage four quatrième mm. étape mm. brest to les sables d'olonne and all the waypoints all the checkpoints mm -hmm. and then but when you actually watch the film being projected that's like that flickers like mm. in, as they used to just gently moving around and oscillating for about two seconds but two seconds of film projected for us 50, 50 pictures. Unreeling and unreeling and unreeling and unreeling. And then it kind of like, and I got to about three or four frames in, just unspooling it like this. When it's, mm. I was thinking, God, this is chaos. So I'm going to like lose control of the film and yeah. break it. So I had yeah. to like gently wind it back in. And th but I already knew I must get this mm. restored and digitized. And that was quite a mission. Yeah. And when you got it back, so this is, interest this is where because it has on it doesn't it the stage the year no, the it doesn't tour, have the year, year. so and you that's had to find interesting thing. So, but so you had to figure out what the stage was and what tour de france it was so so i don't want i don't i'm conscious of spoilers here. yeah i don't want to give too much away but i think this is one that this is i think the film is the most because that is the the whole and people can even qr code on the cover of the book yeah, and, yeah, go and, and see and it you know the book's called 1923 so it's yeah. fairly clear that you know yeah. I'm, not, I'm not giving anything away no. that i do establish it's from 1923 yeah. stage four from 1923 um but this i didn't know and this is kind of like symptomatic of the kind of things that blew my mind mm. in the coming year and a bit of discovery i uh, uh, my, uh, my simple starting point is it would have been everyone's starting point i put into google brest to les sables d'olonne yeah 412 kilometers mm. Tour de France. Bing. Straight away, I got a, a Google hit, 1923 Tour de France. And I, mm. I didn't even look any further. Yeah. Because why would I? It yeah. matched. 412 <laughs> kilometers, Brest mm -hmm. de la Sable d'Olonne. Yeah. Must have been stage four, 1923. Fine. And then I took off, a little bit later, a week or so later, I took off my bookshelf the famous book, Les Forces de la Route by Albert Londres. 
the convict of the road which describes the Pelissier mutiny oh right right yeah, yeah. just because I knew that was a, in 1924 mm. so roughly the same peloton roughly the mm -hmm. same kind of year and I thought oh yeah this is a, an adjacent event yeah. let me read around it a bit and I started reading that again and I read it then the next day after the Pelissier mutiny in Albert Londres 1924 account mm -hmm. it basically says what have we got on the agenda today Brest to Les Sables d'Olonne 412 kilometers <sighs> and I went what? Uh -oh. What? Yeah. And so then I looked a bit further, and I realised that for five consecutive years, the post-war, immediate post-war years, the route of the Tour de France was identical. Huh. And this was a very different Tour de France to what we know now. And this is oh, what yeah. this is what I found amazing about the book as well, because obviously you then go into everyone that's listening to this knows the modern Tour de France. Yeah. And we've we joke well what's gravel racing well <laughs> yeah. it's um the tour de france back then was an ultra endurance event it was yeah. an it was an adventure yeah. and it was made up of journeymen kind of all these rogues societal rogues who'd go and do the tour de france this extreme event and and what i found fascinating from this was you then going deeper and going into the origins of the tour de france yeah and yeah. stuff i didn't i've never read or heard about characters that come out yeah that are just and mm. even the cultural kind of relevance of the tour at the time and what was going on in the world. And a lot of these riders had come out of the First World War and it was well, madness. I mean, this is the lost generation, isn't yeah. it? This, is, this was a, so one of the many, 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 many characters who are only tangentially re related mm. to cycling, but yet intimately that feature in the book is Ernest Hemingway, yeah. who was in Paris in 1923 and just mm. starting. He wrote his published his first book in 1923, a collection <laughs> of poetry. Um, but he coined the phrase, the lost generation, which was actually attributed to Gertrude Stein, the American who lived in Paris. And she was the doyenne of all yeah. this artistic endeavor. So she knew Picasso, mm -hmm. she knew Scott Fitzgerald, she knew... What's um, that for Midnight in Paris? Yes. Yeah, where it kind of goes back to that. That was exactly the formative time in Paris of that whole, well, the lost generation, but then lost. also the beginning of the F. Scott Fitzgerald. Exactly. The kind of roaring the, the 20s. birth of modernity. Yeah. This is where we're at. Yeah. And the lost generation is such a wonderful phrase because, you know, she said to Hemingway, she said, you you and all your friends, you are the lost generation, mm. by, you know, by which mm. he means you spent your youth, you came of age, really, mm. in, the, in the First World War. Mm. And, of course, the peloton of the 1923 Tour de France is to a man a member, a paid-up member of the Lost Generation. Mm. Like, there's not a single rider in that peloton who has not suffered at first-hand familial bereavement mm. or even near death on the front line themselves. Mm. Not what, not one, right? Yeah. Because when you factor in not just the Great War, but the Spanish flu, which mm. killed more, mm -hmm. young people. And, and this, again, this echoes between 2023 yeah. and 1923, you know, in the immediate aftermath of a mm. pandemic. Mm. And I was writing this in and researching it in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. It was spooky. Mm. But yeah, so there's something very moving about watching these silent black and white images of these mysterious and, and at first glance, totally unidentifiable riders mm. at first glance um, who make up this peloton when you know what they've been through. Yeah. And you can imagine what mm. they've been through. Mm. And I found that I found myself profoundly moved by that. Yeah. And then the more I looked into some of the great heroes of the age and that race, the Pelissiers, Ottavio Bottecchia, the more I was kind of like, the more I became fascinated. And then I started to discover they're in the film. Yeah. And that was like, uh, that was proper forensic work yeah. to identify them. I think one of the things that I took away from the book was, it's only two and a half minutes, but obviously the 
those two and a half minutes minutes thread through the whole book and offer all these tangents. Yeah. And I didn't know any of the kind of how pivotal that period was, as you said, to the beginning of modern kind of society. And you're, it feels, a lot of the names in it we're familiar with, but um, it w- I had no idea about the kind of the build-up to the First World War, what had gone on, the kind of Gertrude Stein had heard about, and Sarah Bernhardt, and all these characters. But I found it amazing that all of it connected. All of it's connecting. So if I'm brutally honest, I didn't know any of these connections. I mean, mm. I don't need to be brutally honest about mm. that. I just need to be honest <laughs> yeah. about that. Um, and, and here's the thing. I, 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 um, I'm not a historian. I've never studied mm. history. I didn't even do history O-level or GCSE. You mm. know, I don't, it's, not, it's not something that's ever I've engaged with. But this is partly a, a, hist- a, a work of history. Mm. Um, and I went into this with a great deal of... Um, trepidation and timidity but i just started to find it absolutely fascinating yeah and the more i read around the subject so let alone the cultural sort of like artistic side and the Mm. names you've mentioned Mm. thinking about the political context what Mm. was going on you know on the on the very day of the the film was shot stuff like the 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 occupation of the Ruhr valley you know Mm -hmm. when belgium and france basically fed up with the with the fact that under, according to them Germany had not kept up with the swinging terms of its Versailles treaty repayment terms marched into the Ruhr Valley and confiscated Germany's industrial output leading to hyperinflation which peaks in 1923 absolutely mm. peaked out in 1923 mm. which in turn led to later on that year in the autumn Adolf Hitler firing a bullet into a beer keller and trying to seize control of Bavaria and ending mm. up in prison this is a big year. Yeah. And the more I read around it, you know, we're a long way, 1923, from the outbreak of hostilities in 1939, mm. and yet we're very close. Sure. And, and the, more I, the more I read around what was going on there, the more I came t- um, timidly at first, cautiously, that's what I'm after, cautiously to a kind of a historian's conclu- conclusion mm. that 1923, this is my thesis, that 1923 is the end of the First World War, Mm. And it's the start of the Second World War. Mm. Not only that, it's June, ni- late June 1923 is yeah. the end of the First World War. And the start. Not only that, but the 30th of June 1923 is the moment the Second World War starts. Yeah. That's basically my conclusion. Yeah. And I, uh, then I, you know, the more I read... But this one of the interesting yeah, things, sorry, sorry. I was going to interrupt, is with hindsight, it all seems so clear. Yeah. You know, with the, the knowledge of what, it's going to happen over the next 16 years to 1939. Yes. But there's something quite haunting about reading this now with a hundred years yeah. kind of perspective is you're seeing all the jigsaw kind of the pieces are all there. It's horrifying. It's horrifying. And you're kind of, you're powerless to kind of, but you're seeing it all with absolute clarity. Yeah. And it's like, wow. And then, but at the same time, parallel to that, there is, as we, there was that time of everyone thinking it's fine, it's done, and yeah. actually it's just all beginning again. Yeah, and that I found, and 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 during all this, what's so interesting about it is the there is still such an old generation because you're going back to the origin of the Tour de France, de Grange, and some of the characters. You're the great idealists, about. The great yeah. idealists, and it's a, the, from, it's very connected to the pre-First World War yeah. era. 
the Belle Epoque. The Belle Epoque. Your era. Yeah, my era. <laughs> La Belle Epoque. <laughs> and that's what I found interesting because we always talk about Tour de France and we talk about it starting in 1903, but it's actually people from the Belle Epoque that are starting it. So, you w- so 1923 is the birth of modernity, mm. but these ideals, so nothing, mm. you know, it's not like one era ends and another one begins mm. like that, that is, as neatly yeah. as perhaps I've described it. The two things overlap. You know, one gives way as the other rises. Yeah. And so what you get in terms of the way the, the, the 1923 Tour de France is raced, uh, um, you get a clash of Desgranges' idealism mm. with the hard realities of these lost generation of riders. Yeah. None more hard-nosed than the guy who wins the 1923 mm. Tour de France and then mutinies the next year, Henri mm. Pellissier, mm. with whom Desgranges had this tempestuous battling relationship that had gone on for years. Because Pellissier was just that nasty bit of work, yeah, right? Yeah, he was. Like, I won't give away how it mm. all comes to an end for Pellissier because mm. that's genuinely astonishing. Yeah. But Desgranges knew that he had to sort of nurture this French star because in 1923 it ends a sequence of seven consecutive Belgian victories. Mm. So it's so important for the race. And yet he detested Pellissier because Pellissier represented the death of idealism, mm. the death of the great notions on which Desgranges, the nationalist, the dreamer, the utopian that he was, mm. had founded the Tour de France in the first place. Mm. And by now, of course, Desgranges is, a, is, is, is already quite an old man. Mm. You know, he enlisted to fight in the First World War in his, at, age, yeah. at the age of 50. Carl proper. Yeah, idealist. <laughs> but, and, and this is, and I think I was so taken aback by this, that there are no moving images of Desgranges. I, I, I don't think. I always I have to think, preface yeah. this with, I've, and believe me, I've tried to look. Right? Yeah. And I've asked Pathé and they don't have any. So in my film, Degr- there's Desgranges. Yeah. It's, 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 a mo- it's a film of Desgranges. And that's nuts. Yeah. And the more you go into the book, the more... Even though I hadn't seen the the clip, the more it comes to life, yeah, and the more you want to go and see it. There's this. Oh, we've spoken about this. All of a sudden, it stops just being these romanticized snippets we get yep. of the Tour de France and these characters. Yeah, you're getting a few seconds of seeing Desgranges moving, and you start to feel more and more that you're actually there. Yeah, that you're seeing these people, and there's so much more depth to it. And yep. and I, I and there was that character. Is there's another character, Desgranges' wingman. Bob, big Bob. Big Bob. Big Bob Desmarais. <laughs> and I'd never heard of him. No. He's and quite an important figure in the book. Yeah. You know, he kind of invented, he goes on to sort of invent the publicity caravan, the lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> and it, so it, it goes on with this, and then you become entranced by uh, the main character of yep. this clip. And this is where the story goes, the kind of the, the parallel 2020 story yeah 2020 is 2020 isn't it during the actual first lockdown yeah yeah um, exactly right yeah of trying to hunt down who he is yeah so this is the the juxtaposition we have in the book is you going off on the kind of the period the poc and meanwhile you're in 2020 nearly 100 years later yeah trying to decode and find out who rooted to my desk because i can't go anywhere except drop through time using my computer and yeah. you're s- and you then travel to Belgium. You're trying to track him down. You're going to Paris. You're going to Pathé, and all of this is kind of anchors it because it genuinely feels you spend most of the book in twenty twenty nineteen twenty three and mm. before. Mm. But then there's this parallel of how everybody's forgotten about it. Yeah, and this is what's so I found really. Uh, how would I say? Um, kind of perturbed that we don't have any idea about any of this stuff yeah and how we just disappear yeah 
and how everybody's just disappeared. Yeah. Because we take it for granted that they're all gone. Yeah. That that's a period. But we don't have any of the stories. Yeah. Of who they were, of what they were, of where they lived, when yeah. they lived. Yeah. And you start to give this absolute, and as you said, Degrange, we put him as the same as that generation of the earlier generations of the writers, but he wasn't. No. And none of those, the yeah. kind of these older founders of the Tour de France. The patrician figures. The patrician figures could come from 300 years ago. Yeah, yeah, literally. And that's what yeah. was kind of really haunting to me. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not sure with you what was the kind of the most revelatory kind of experience of of deep diving into all this. Um, I, I think it's the, the point which, which made my heart beat faster was the point at which um, the months and months and months of remote research that I'd done basically from my desk mm. it started to inter intersect with the real world and real people's lives. Mm. So I hunt down the living descendants of this notable but mysterious Flemish rider who becomes the central character in the book really. Mm. And at the point at which I'm in conversation with his living descendants, I become aware that I am all that remains of this guy. Yeah. I, flesh and blood me, is mm. all that remains mm. of this rider because yeah. his living descendants have no clue mm. who he was. And yeah, I, I do. Goosebumps. And yeah. I do. Mm. Yeah. He dies in 1950-something. I've forgotten mm. the date off the top of my head. And I am all that remains of him. Yeah. I'm the only, I, I know more about this guy than anyone on earth has ever known. <laughs> you know, who's well, that's not true. But anyone alive. Yeah. What a weird responsibility. Mm. And what an honour. Yeah. Uh, and I take and I take this to the town in which he grew up, and all his family still live. You know, mm. the remains mm. of them. And I tell people there about him, and yeah. it's um, and that, you know, so that's the personal sort of connection. Then there's, there's another real world connection, and there's a beautiful little Breton port, whose name I'll withhold because you find it out in the book, but but um, that, that plays a central part in the end of the film, because the the final sequence of the film is in this little this little town and I go and visit there and I um, I, I I meet this uh, through a series of wonderful sort of like literally showing the film in bars and walking into shops and talking to people mm. um, I eventually they all point me in the way of this um, this this town archivist his amateur historian <laughs> sleuth <laughs> who, who knows everything about this town yeah. except he didn't know that yeah. so I'm bringing him this treasure trove of possibly the only bit of film that's ever been shot from yeah. that era of yeah. you know this and of course, this just delights him. And the, one of the last things that Michel says to me is, next year, Ned, you come into the Tour de France, because by now I'd explained who I was. He said, yes, I'll be at the Tour de France. He says, when the Tour de France finishes in 2023, exactly 100 years after this film, mm. th the next day you come from Paris and you'll come here on a train. And uh, I'm going to show this film in the, in the mairie, in the town hall, mm. And uh, you are going to be our guest of honour, and we'll uh, we'll invite you to a feast, and we'll have a little small yeah. festival. And I I almost cried, <laughs> and I'm going to do it as well. Yeah. You know, it's um it was just a wonderful way of capping off this extraordinary journey that I've been on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it is just the most wonderful book, and I can't help but uh, recommend it to everybody because it's a perspective of the Tour de France I've I didn't have, and also the period, and also the origins of a sport I love. Um, but it puts it all in a completely new perspective. And uh, chapeau on going on the journey, Ned, because it's something else. And I think something we needed a need to kind of look at the Tour de France with fresh eyes and with historical eyes. Thank you very much, David. Mm -hmm.